With that, grab your Bibles, and we're going to turn this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can grab that pew rack Bible uh, in the pew rack in front of you, and uh, you'll find our passage on page 900. And thir- uh, 957, page 957. And uh, we've been in a series this uh, end of this summer that we've entitled Rhythm, trying to understand how to find rhythm in our lives as Christians. And we've looked at a lot of different areas. And last week we looked at a very tough area that it's very difficult to find rhythm in. And that is in uh, our life fighting temptation. And I was overwhelmed uh, after last week's message by the response of people who it really uh, hit a nerve for them. And what I heard was, help us to understand more about the struggles with temptation. While we know what temptation is, help us to understand how we can really find victory. And after last week's message, when we talked about the downward spiral and slide of temptation and sin, I noticed that I didn't spend a lot of time focusing in on what we need to understand about temptation as to how to find victory over it. And so I want to have round two, if you will, in finding rhythm uh, in the fight. But in doing so, I'm going to pull you out of your comfort zone this morning. And uh, I did with the first service. And we're going to do something a little different for a moment. Uh, I'm going to be talking about temptation. And my second point being a common experience And I'm going to have you help us uh, with that. And so in your bulletin, where the sermon insert is, there's also an insert uh, that has uh, four different uh, sins listed. Idolatry, immorality, insubordination, and ingratitude. And the first service did a great job, and I believe you guys can be equal to the task. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take the next couple moments, and of these sins listed, I want you to be honest, because we are told to confess sins one to another, I want you to circle three sins amongst these four categories, three sins that you find yourself fighting, whether it's sins or or just the temptation to sin in these different areas. And what we're going to do is they're going to stay anonymous, so don't put any uh, identifying mark, your name or anything on it. What we're going to do is we're going to collect these, and the ushers are going to take them in the back, and I saw them do it in the first service, mix them up, and we're going to hand them back out. And what you are going to have is you're going to grab one of these. You're not going to have your own, okay? The chances of that happening are pretty small. And what we're going to do is midway through the service, we're going to share uh, some confessions of sin by showing where the people that you have in, uh, in the piece of paper that you hold in your hand, which won't be you, are struggling with sin. And we're going to see, and I'm going to tell you, uh, as I was walking out, people said that was one of the most impactful moments this morning, was seeing that we're not alone in our fight with temptation and sin. So I want you to take a couple moments. I'm going to play some music. Go ahead. If you need to cover, if you really want to hide it, that's all right. I want to give you that opportunity uh, to do that. But circle three uh, of the sins that are listed that say, these are the ones that I'm struggling with the most. And so let's go ahead and take a moment, and then ushers are going to come and collect them in a couple minutes. All right, as the ushers continue to uh, pick those up, uh, we'll talk about those in a moment. And guys, whenever your guys are done grabbing them, come on back down and pass them back out and just take one of them. Uh, that's in there and hold on to it and we'll talk about it in a couple minutes. So go ahead and do that, ushers, once you mix them up a little bit and uh, we'll talk about those in a couple minutes. Well, with regards to the issue of temptation, I found a story of, uh, of someone struggling to deal with temptation. The story is told of a poor pastor and his wife who lived from paycheck to paycheck and the pastor uh, was uh, cleaning up in the kitchen one day and, and to his absolute shock and chagrin found a receipt that his wife had purchased a 200 and $50 dress. He couldn't believe it. Honey, how could you possibly, you know that we are from paycheck to paycheck. How in the world could you have done this? The wife cried out with tears. I don't know. All I know is I was standing at the store looking at the dress. I found myself trying it on. It was as if the devil was whispering to me, boy, you really look great in that dress. You should buy it. Well, the pastor said, you know what Jesus said when we are tempted by the devil, that he told the disciples that when the devil comes, that that Jesus responded, get behind me, Satan. The wife exclaimed, I did that exact thing, but the devil said the dress looks great on the back as well. Some of you get that. I hope that many of you aren't hearing devilish voices, not only as you shop, but as you live through life, but The issue of temptation is not fun and games. 
It is serious business, so much so that we want to take a second week to look at this subject of temptation. The problem is we live in a society that says temptation is entertainment. Some years ago, uh, Fox uh, Channel ran a reality show called Temptation Island. Many of you probably remember it. It ran for four seasons. It was a hit with audiences. And what was so fascinating about this reality show, guys, go ahead and just bring it up and pass them out again. What was so fascinating about this reality show was not only that our culture fell in love with it so much, but that over a two-week period of time is what it took place in. They would place four, listen to me, four happily married couples who then would be placed on an exotic island with all of the trappings of temptation with 26 single people who acted as tempters. And so these four couples had 26 singles around them, good-looking and and highly attractive individuals, that their job was to tempt them. And one of the things that the show absolutely hailed as incredible was that 60% of the couples that went on the show left not together. And here's the crazy thing. We call this entertainment. We like in our culture the idea that tempting is fun and it's good and that leaving the bonds of marriage is a thing that people would enjoy. Over five million people on average watched this show in the four seasons that it was on and we wonder why our world is in the place that it is. Now here's the problem. Temptation for the believer and the non-believer is something that is going to happen all the time as we learned last week. But what is temptation? Well, number one, we need to understand it's not entertainment, it's serious business. The Bible reminds us of temptation, and here's a good definition of it. Temptation, write this down, means to be enticed, to be enticed, incited, or attracted to do something wrong or to some forbidden thing. It is to be enticed, incited, or attracted to do something wrong or a forbidden thing. Now we need to understand, to be tempted doesn't mean that we are sinning. Jesus Christ was perfect. He was holiness personified, and Jesus Christ himself was tempted. To be tempted is different. To have attractions, to have um, inclinations is different than sinning. The problem is, the book of James says, is when we are tempted, we are dragged into sin when we pursue those things and we begin to feed those things and not turn away from them. Now, for some of you, you would say, well, our world and our culture is very different than the world we lived in. Let me help you. In 1933, Bing Crosby said these uh, words about temptation in his song of that same name. You came when I was alone. I should have known your temptation. Your smile luring me on. My heart was gone. Your temptation. He goes on and he says, For you were born to be kissed. I can't resist your temptation. I am yours. Here's my heart. Take it and say we'll never part. I'm just a slave, only a slave for you. Temptation. You see, temptation are the things that keep us from doing God's best in our lives. Right now, each of us need to recognize this morning that we're in a war. As followers of Jesus Christ, this war is not for our souls because we have been justified. We are saved and no temptation, no sin or amount of sin in our lives can separate us from the love of Christ. That means we can't sin our way out of God's love. But here is the thing. Temptation in our lives, the reason why the devil brings it up and the world uh, shows it to us is not to get us to lose our salvation, but to lose our reputation, to lose our effectiveness as a follower of Christ. And sadly, the world and the devil are winning in this battle. Many of us are falling to the temptation and we are receiving large losses in this area. And that's why I want to spend another week looking at it. You see, if we want to win in life, if we want to find rhythm in our lives as Christians, we need to understand and obey God's plan for us. And since the beginning of time, men and women have struggled to win in this war against temptation. And many have just quit trying. But God's Word has some truth for us. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. I'm going to ask that you would stand. We're going to read the first 14 verses. And we'll ask God's blessing on our time as we study this passage before us. 
This is what 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor should we grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stand take heed, lest he fall. For no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but uh, will provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Let's pray. Father God, we ask your blessing on our time and your word. Lord, we need help in this. There's a battle waging, and many of us are losing the battle to temptation and sin, and we need your word, we need your spirit to lead us and guide us to truth, to the blessed life of obedience. Lord, I pray that this will be a word that will encourage and challenge and bring light to our sin and to the dark things that we find ourselves falling to. For you, let you receive the glory and honor from the obedience that comes from it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There are three things I want to pull from this text this morning. And the first one has to do, if we want to find our rhythm again, we don't want to fall down that slippery slope of sin from last week. And we need to remember situations. It involves remembering situations in Scripture involving temptation. Now in our text this morning, Paul begins with a highlight reel of what God was doing in the lives of the people of Israel. He says, I don't want you to not know this, brothers. I don't want you to be ignorant, the NIV says, that our fathers were all under a cloud. They passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and into the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from a rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so here Paul begins, and he says, I want to remind you about some people. I released three million people, God says, from Egypt. And they leave the bondage and they are taken into the wilderness and I'm with them every step of the way. When they hear the footsteps and the clamoring and the, and the horse's uh, uh, hooves coming behind them and they find themselves standing before the Red Sea, God says, I was there. And I parted the Red Sea. They walked on dry land. And when, when Pharaoh's armies came into the sea, I brought, them, brought the waters back and drowned them to keep God's enemies from hurting his people. And God says, well, that wasn't enough. I took care of them. I fed them manna from heaven. When they needed food, I gave it to them. When they needed drink, I allowed water to come from a rock. I gave them shoes that would not uh, wear out during their time of journeying. I was there every step of the way. I gave them a cloud and a pillar of fire to lead them both at day and night. And I was there to serve them every step of the way. God's people were a part of great days. They're a part of God's moving in their lives. Now, why in the world would Paul bring this out on a passage about temptation? Here it is. Understand this very quickly. When God is doing his best work in our lives, when you and I are walking mano and mano with God, when we are enjoying the blessings of God in our lives, be careful, temptation is a right around the corner. That in that moment... In that time where you seem closest to God, temptation is there. You see, many of us have involved ourselves in many different things where spiritual highs have have overtaken us, where God is doing wonderful things. There were some times in my life as a, a student in our youth group where we enjoyed great times with God, and I can't tell you how many times that spiritual high, that mountaintop experience, led to a valley of temptation in my life. 
And some of you right now are enjoying incredible favor with God. You're enjoying your walk with God like never before. And you think, no, the temptation is so far away. I'm having too good of a time with God. God says, take heed lest you fall. Temptation is right around the corner. Now notice what the text says. It says that amidst all of these four verses, God's saying, I'm doing great things in the lives of my people. Notice what then the people do. Nevertheless, verse 5, with most of them, God was not pleased. And he had them overthrown in the wilderness. Here's what we need to understand. Amidst God's goodness, amidst God's grace, amidst God's love, what are the people's responses? The text says most of them, the majority of them, instead of choosing God, chose sin. But wait a minute. Wasn't God doing miraculous things? Don't you play that game? Well, well, if God showed me water from a rock, well, then I would surely be rock solid with him. If God was bringing manna, bread down from heaven, I would believe and I would be more faithful. If God parted the Red Sea in my life, if I saw the Fox River all of a sudden widen out so I could cross it, then I would really believe. But what was their response? It's the same response that we have when God shows his mercies that are new every morning. When he pours out his grace and love, the majority of us, most of us, choose temptation and sin over the goodness of God. This is a problem for us. It was a problem for them, and it's a problem for us today. Temptation is the traps God is doing great things in our lives, and all the while the devil's saying, yeah, have your great time with God, but before, in a place that you're not ready for it, I'm going to bring temptation. Now notice, he says something in verse 6. He says that because of this, they were in verse 5, they were overthrown. They died in the wilderness. You don't think temptation is a serious thing? Ask the thousands of people, the 23,000 in one day that died because of sin and temptation. And he says, okay, so I've written these things, church at Corinth, Village Bible Church. I've written these things down and that, that you may have them as examples for you. Why do we need to know these things? Because we need to see how temptation ruins lives Now notice, so that we might not desire sin as they do. So what we need to understand is God used this as an example, and he's giving us a highlight reel of the absolute disaster that comes when sin and temptation gets into our life, so that we will say, okay, yes, sin does look alluring, but the full payment of it is far more than I ever want to take. I don't want to be a part of it. Notice later on in the text, it says, now these things, verse 11 happened to them as an example for who? The example wasn't for them. Their lives were over. They had sinned, and God had exacted judgment and punishment in their lives. So who is the example for? Notice they were written down for our instruction. And so as we read these things, they're to teach us some things. They are to remind us of some things. When I was a senior in high school, I'll never forget one day we were going to school, myself and a buddy of mine were in the car, and we were heading to the school, and and I was at Hinkley Big Rock, which is just west of here, and Route 30 was closed. And there was as many fire trucks and emergency vehicles as I had ever seen. As we got closer, we were detoured right into the school parking lot, and just beyond the school parking lot was the most graphic and horrific scene I had ever seen. Literally, people were hanging out of windows, completely bloodied, and all of that. And it was a sobering experience, all the while to find out it was staged. Prom was coming. And the school district and the parents and the fire department wanted to teach us. They wanted to give us an example. And so first hour was canceled. We went into an assembly to talk about the terrible consequences that can come when when teenagers are more involved in partying than watching what they're doing by drinking and causing accidents. And it was to serve as a picture, to instruct, stay away from the stuff. It's alluring and it seems like fun, but the consequences of it are disastrous. And so here we have this example. These many examples of the absolute destruction that comes to the people. You need to know what this destruction is. Notice it says that some of them 
indulged themselves into this, 23,000 of them died in a single day. He said that they were destroyed by serpents. They were destroyed by the destroyer. Many a people, many a godly men and women have been destroyed by sin. Their reputations, their lives, their testimonies. And we need to take heed, lest we fall as well. James tells us that temptation, while it's not a sin, is the mechanism that drags us. Well, what drags us to sin? We could say it's the devil. I want you to know that one of the most unbiblical statements that you can ever utter is the following, the devil made me do it. Can't do that. You have just given the devil a whole lot more props than he deserves. We are dragged by our own evil desires, the book of James says, from being tempted to then leading it to sin. And so what areas does Paul bring out that we need to be reminded of? Just look at that sheet of paper that you have in your hands. He he starts with idolatry. Notice it says that we are not to be idolaters, as some of them were. Now what is idolatry? It is the excessive devotion, reverence, or allegiance to something other than God. So here's what it is, because right away you say, well, well, I remember the Charlton Heston movie where they, they make that calf, uh, calf of gold and they worship it. I don't do that. That's not what I do. Okay, so you're not into uh, physical idol worship. But idol worship is alive and well in America and quite frankly, probably in the lives of some of us today. Because idolatry is taking that which is secondary and making it primary. It's taking God off his throne and putting anything else that you want it to. And they can be sinful things and they can be noble things. I can take God off my throne, off his throne and I can put my family on that throne. Well, Amanda and the boys are good things. They're given by God. Family is something that's given. It's a grace of God's. It is something good. But I can take that which is good and make it something of sin. We can do it with our work. We can do it with our hobbies. We can do it with things like sports. We can do it with things uh, that take, that are secondary graces of God, and we make them primary. And God says, I'm not going to allow that. You cannot be idolers, idolaters. You cannot place and elevate things that are second in your life and make them the first. Now this, they did worship a statue of gold. But some of us are worshiping things that God never intended to be worshipped. That were given to us, yes, for our good, but never intended for us to bow down to them. Some of it it is the love of money. Some of it is, is the boasting of self, materialism. It's our arrogance to think that we're better than God. It's the pride of self. You see, idolatry is a funny thing. You can make anything into an idol. As I said some weeks ago, one of the reformers said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. We invent them on a daily basis. We take that which is small and make it. And you know, that's the absolute absurdity of it. If you do any history and study of the golden calf that they made, they said that even with all of the precious stones and and metals that the Israelites had, the biggest, the biggest the calf could have been was about the size of a human being. And for all of the people to see it, the biggest and tallest men would have to lift it above their shoulders to be able to see it. Now think of the absurdity of that. That to make sure that your God is seen, you got to make sure that you raise him as high as possible because he can't be seen by the masses. Think about that, that your God is so small that you were the one that created him. That you fashioned him with your hands. You don't think the God of the universe takes offense to that? You think that little thing is better than me? You think that that thing you made with your hands is better than I who created the world and the universe and every molecule and animal and plant I created with my own hands, with the power of my word, the things that I created, you think what you created is like me? Oh, you got another thing coming. And yet each and every day we take things either that we've created or another man has created 
or is created in and itself, even maybe something that God has given, and we take that small thing, that great house that you have that you're pouring all your time and, and attention into, that bank account that you have, and you say, wow, this is it. I'm working hard for it, and I'm, I'm making sure that I have all that I need. God sits there and goes, that little bank account, that little house you think is bigger and greater than I am. You got another thing coming, man. This, that's, that's foolishness. That's idolatry. Notice he goes on to immorality. And immorality, we talk a lot about sexual immorality, but immorality, notice on the, on the sheet of paper, is violating biblical guidelines for behavior. And so immorality is anything. It's a general term that means that instead of going God's way, you choose to go your own. Now, sexual morality is taking God's guidelines for sexual uh, intimacy and moving them outside of the boundary, boundaries and parameters that God has set forth. And this is one that's big because what we are doing, we are an immoral people in America. We have chosen, we've made this decision, and we've been on this slippery slope for a while, that God's parameters no longer are truth and good. And what we have decided is, is that whatever makes a person feel good, then therefore those are the parameters. Well, here's the problem. We invent ways of having fun. And so now the sky's the limit on what parameters are. And so what we say is what used to be out of bounds now is in bounds under the auspices of love. Of what makes someone feel good. Because someone feels that way, therefore they become the one who sets the parameters. And here's the problem. Once you allow immorality to open up and you say that immorality is now the new morality, you've got trouble. This is what happened to the the empire of Rome. They allowed everything to go, and what happened was the people were destroyed. Immorality is one that we see running rampant in our world today. How about being insubordinate or insubordination? It is defiance to an established authority, whether it's God's, and I wrote, or some other godly authority. What I mean by godly isn't so much that it's holy, but God-ordained. And so insubordination is, is us when we, and here's the thing, we are insubordinate when we say no to God and yes to sin. Now notice what it says. They tested Christ in this way. They didn't obey him. And they were killed by serpents. And you say, well, I, I, yeah, I'm sinning, but understand that it's not just sinning against God, but it's sinning against godly authority. So children, when you disobey your parents, you're being insubordinate not only to man, your parents, but to God. We need to be careful of this, and it creates some nuance. We need to be careful of this as citizens of what our job is in our subordination uh, to the laws of the land. We need to be careful of this as employees. We need to be careful of this uh, as people within the church, under the leadership of the church. The idea here is we need not be rebellious. And people that are leading rebellions who are willfully and spitefully uh, doing as they want instead of following commands. What about ingratitude? He goes on and he says in the text, don't grumble. He says, why shouldn't you grumble? Because grumbling is a reminder that you're unhappy with what God has given. So ingratitude is thanklessness. It's being ungrateful. It's lacking contentment to the point that you're no longer giving God praise. And here's the thing. Ingratitude is a subtle one. Because what happens is, is God gives us all of these glorious things as he did the children of Israel back in the wilderness. And they say, yes, but. Yeah, you gave us this, God, but what are you going to do for us tomorrow? And we do this today. Yeah, God, you gave us a house, but when will we have a house like the neighbor? Yeah, you gave me a car, but now it's rusting, so when do you give me a new one? Yes, God, you gave me a job, but when do I get a promotion? Yes, God, you gave me kids, but when are they going to be like everybody else's kids? Yeah, God, you gave me a spouse, but when are you going to make the spouse like so-and-so's spouse? And we become ungrateful, and we complain, and we grumble. And we do so all the while while God is pouring out his blessings on us. We don't deserve an absolute thing. God gives it to us and we say, yeah, but I'd like it to be better. We hate it when we see it in our children. But we're okay with it when we see it in our own lives. Ingratitude. 
Some of us are struggling with these things this morning. And here's the thing that you need to understand. Notice it says that most of them were dealing with it, but notice that it says with each one of these sins, some of them struggled with it. And here's the thing I want you to understand. All of us are struggling with temptation. We'll get to that in a moment. But not all of us are fighting the same fight. And so what you may be struggling with, someone else may not be. So you're dealing with idolatry. You're struggling there. There's where the battle's the fiercest. And for others, it's immorality or insubordination or, or ingratitude. We're all fighting in the same war, but we're fighting them at different places in the battlefield. And one of the problems we run into as a collective group of people are the people that struggle with idolatry are okay with that, but they get really mad when someone struggles with immorality. How in the world can someone do that? I mean, that's a real bad one. Or the people are like, well, yeah, I may struggle with immorality, but I don't struggle with insubordination. I don't deal with that. And we begin to elevate or devalue the sins that are in our lives, and we elevate those that are in others' lives. Here's the thing. God says, don't do any of them. They're all there, and they're all problems in our lives. Notice the second thing we need to do is we need to understand the specifics of temptation. The specifics. Anytime we have an opponent in our lives, anytime there's an enemy, we we need to understand the strengths and weaknesses of our opponent. That's why people watch game tapes on the opponents in the athletic realm. They want to know where the opponent is strong, where he's at his weakness, and we need to understand some of the specifics about our own temptation. It involves realizing some of the specifics regarding it. And notice Paul does that in this text. Notice he says that temptation is a common experience. Verse 13, he says, There is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. This is what he means. The issue you're dealing with, you're not alone. You're not alone in the fight. You're not the first person to struggle with lust. You're not the first person to struggle with materialism. You're not the first person to struggle with terrible things coming out of your mouth. You're not the first. It was happening in the days of Moses. Paul's responding to it because it's happening in the days of the first century in the uh, church in Corinth. And it's happening today. It's common to man. The sins that we deal with While they may be different, in essence, they're all very similar to one another. They're all pursuing self and our desires over God. Now, to help you understand that this morning, I had you get pulled out of your comfort zone to write down some of your sins. And while we have a pretty small sampling in both of our services, I want you to see that it's pretty common. So I want you to pull out that piece of paper. Now, I'm going to take a lot of time in this. But I want you, when, you're, when you come to the one that I read, is circled in your sheet of paper, I want you to raise your hand. And I will tell you, it impressed the hearts of many of our people in the first service because it reminded them that we're not alone in the fight. So let's just go through these and raise your hand when yours says it as you're representing one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So when it comes to idolatry, How many are struggling with idol worship? Let's see a show of hands. How about sorcery? Blasphemy? How about the boasting of self? How about materialism? How about arrogance? How about pride or being a lover of self? In the area of immorality, how about cursing? How about pornography? How about lust? How about coarse joking? How about fornication? How about drunkenness? Homosexuality? Adultery? Carousing? Gossip? Some people struggling with stuff. Do you you see that? You're not alone in this fight. Insubordination. How about disobedience? Just general disobedience. Not being submissive. How about being disrespectful? How about seeking revenge? How about in the area of ingratitude, complaining? 
That was a big one in the first one. Discontent. Coveting. Anger. The, the next one was bitterness. Um, how many bitterness? How many struggle with bitiness? If you do, move away from the person sitting next to you. If you raise your hand, they may bite you. We don't want to tempt them. How about envy? How about stealing? Oh, we're not going to keep these. I told them the elders aren't using this to find out how sinful the church is, okay? We don't need to know it. So once you're done with it, you can throw it away, do whatever you want with it. But here's the thing I want you guys to walk away from with this. We just confess sins one to another. Here's a couple things I want you to walk away from. Number one, we're a sinful people, amen? We are absolutely a sinful people. And here's the thing. We just did the top three. I got more than three sins that are waging war in my life. And I got to imagine that, that you are struggling with some of those as well, if not more. So that's number one. Number two, some of us weren't even really honest about it. You were like, preacher, you're not going to play games with me today. So you know what? I'm not going to tell you my sins. Well, that's great. I don't need to know your sins, but God knows them. And if you're not being honest about it, you're never going to win in this war. If you don't know how strong the enemy is, you're never going to find victory within this battle. We all have the disease. It's running through our veins. And if we're not sure how to defeat it, we're going to fall to it. It is common to man. Now here's the thing. If it is common to man, then we need to look at the lives of men and women who not only fell to the sin, but how some of them found victory to it. One of the greatest teaching moments in my time that my father had with me, I don't even think he knows it. We were shopping. I was a young teenager, and we were shopping at the Fox Valley Mall. And my father was walking, and I was alongside of him, and I heard him utter these words, and it shook me at my core. In the quietness under his breath, he was walking and he says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to lust. And I, wait a minute, you don't usually hear that. And I knew I was hearing something I wasn't supposed to hear. And my dad, a godly man, was showing me that even the godly struggle with temptation. And here's the thing, as a 14, 15-year-old kid, I had made no covenant with my eyes. The more the merrier. And my dad was teaching me, get it under control. And he didn't even say a word to me. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters that are a little older, we need to not be living life in front of our children and in front of young people as if we've got it all under control. And we need to be telling our young people, we struggle. I heard of a young man, a Christian man that I know, that uh, found out his son was dealing with pornography. Teenage son was struggling with pornography. And the Yahoo, that I'm talking about the dad, was telling me how angry he was with his son. I said, you're a fool. You tell your son that you've struggled with that as well. And you get on your knees and you pray with that boy. And you tell him the battle is even more severe than it was before because of the internet and all the garbage. We need to be lifting up our young men and women, not pointing our finger at them. And some of us right now are yelling at our teenage kids. And I get it. There's parameters and we need to be building those. I'm a parent. I understand it. But let us never paint the picture that we've got it all figured out. Let's teach them. Let's love them. Let's put our arm around them and say, you're not alone. Because when we do that, they know that there can be victory that can be found. Tell them of some of the things that happened in your life that, that came as a result of you choosing sin over God. Let them know those things. Don't paint the picture that you never dealt with that stuff. Say, these are some of the disastrous things that came in my life. But also show them where you can find victory. Temptation comes, I need to get going here. Temptation occurs, understand this always, always, always in a controlled environment. And God is faithful. Notice the text. 
It's common to man. Yeah, we've got a problem. Yeah, it's gonna, we're going to struggle with this thing. Yeah, but you know what? God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Let's stop there. There's temptation going on in your life, and you're in the fire of temptation right now, and it seems hot. Understand this. God's got his hand on the thermostat. And it will never be hotter than what you're able to bear. What that means is God is never going to get you. And we use this scripture all the time. And by the way, this scripture has to deal with temptation, not trials. I see on Facebook all the time, God will never give me more than I can bear. And I cringe because people are misusing scripture and I don't like that. This is temptation. And what God is saying is there will never come a point where you say, I had to do it. That's what he's meaning. It doesn't mean that the temptation will not be so absolutely severe that every part of your fiber of who you are won't yearn to do that thing. But God says you will never be forced to do it. That's what he's saying. And so don't ever say, well, I was forced to do something or I had no other choice but to do it. Sure, you had a choice. You could have chose obedience instead of disobedience. Yeah, it may have been right there in front of you. It may have been there for the taking. But God says you don't have to do it. So understand that. But understand the second thing that comes with that is that God has his hand on the thermostat and he has his hand on the door opening it for a way of escape. There's always an escape. There's always an opportunity to get out of the temptation. But when you are tempted, he says, he will also provide you a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. So you cannot go to God and say, well, the devil made me do it, or, or it was so bad I had to do it. God, you don't know these hormones that are going on in me, why you gave me all these things. I don't get it, and I had to do it. God says, no, number one, you didn't have to do it because I always give you an opportunity to get out of it. And we need to be aware of that. So we have a choice. So here's what we learn from this text. Number one, and this is important. I know you guys pay me to be a Greek scholar. Here's, here's some Greek scholarship for you. But when temptations come, if you know the Greek, what that means is temptations are going to come. I know it's brain surgery here, folks. It's going to come. And God promises his way of escape. And if he promises it, we're reminded that he's faithful to do it. We can get above this. We can rise above this. We can get through it. But how do we do it? Let me just finish with these things and we'll close. Number three, we have to respond by taking the right steps towards victory over temptation. How are you going to find victory? How are you going to get into that rhythm God wants you to? God's word is a step-by-step process for victory. Let's look at them. Number one, recognize the possibility. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you are standing firm... If you think you are able to stand, take heed lest you fall. Some of you are thinking right now you are above failure. You think that you've got it all figured out. You've walked with God long enough. You've walked around the devil long enough. He'll never be able to do it. Let me share you a story. In 1986, Gordon McDonald was a well-known pastor and the president of InterVarsity Ministry, a massive ministry. And at a conference, he was asked the question before a large group of people. If Satan was to blow you out of the water, how do you think he would do it? Gordon MacDonald responded in this way. I'm not sure I know. I guess all sort of ways, I suppose. But there's one way I know he won't get me. If you don't know that that should cause you to have uh, your hair stand up on the back of your neck and you're not ready. He says, here's the thing. I know the devil will never get me in the area of my marriage. I love my wife too much, and our marriage is too strong. Exactly two years from that date, exactly two years from that date, he stood before his church and confessed an affair. You don't think you can have that happen? Just tell the devil, hey, this is one area you're not going to get me. Take heed lest you fall. The man lost his marriage for a season, lost his ministry, and it took years for him to recoup some of that which happened. Be careful. Where do you feel most secure? Where do you feel like you've got it all figured out? The devil's ready to pounce on you. Number two, we need to be requesting help. Matthew 6, 13, we're going to be dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. 
here in September. It's going to be a great series, I hope. We're going to deal with the Lord's Prayer as one of the focuses of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer reminds us in Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our prayer every day is, God, you know where I struggle, so Lord, lead me away from the garbage that may befall me in my day's activities. Keep me from that stuff. And in Matthew 26, 41, Jesus tells his disciples who are ready and willing to fall to temptation. He says this, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. We need to be praying that God would empower us not to fall to these issues and struggles of sin. Because Jesus reminds us, while the spirit may be willing, the body or flesh is weak. Once we recognize the possibility of temptation, and we start requesting help, we're going to start preparing ourselves. But what happens when the temptation comes? We are to resist the devil. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Step one, be in a right relationship with God. God is your authority. Whatever God says goes. And that's the first way you get rid of temptation. So if God says don't be a part of that stuff, don't be a part of it. If God says, this is the way you're supposed to live, then let's live that way. That's step number one. But even in a righteous life, even Jesus was tempted. And what do we do? We resist him. How do we resist him? We resist him that whatever the devil offers, whatever this world offers, we remind the world that everything that they offer is so stinking pathetic compared to what God is offering us. The devil's offering death. God is offering life. The devil is offering you a season. God is offering you eternity. And every time Jesus was tempted, he would turn what the devil was offering and he would remind him that God offers so much more. And in that moment when we do that, the Bible says that the devil must flee from us. All we got to do is make the right decision. Place ourselves under the right authority and the temptation will be gone. There's two more. We need to retreat from tempting situations. Verse 14, therefore, my dear brothers, flee from idolatry. That word flee is a very, very deep Greek word. Let me help you with it. I I know, guys, I'm a scholar with this. The word flee is so important in the Greek. It means run for your life. That's it. Not much scholarship there. The best picture of it is Joseph running from Potiphar's wife. He doesn't sit there and go, let's have a discussion, Potiphar's wife. Got to get this thing under control. You can't walk around like that. He doesn't say to Potiphar's wife, well, you're dealing with this sin issue. Can I share the Romans road with you? He runs. He says, let someone else evangelize with her when she's got her clothes on. We'll deal with that another day. I'm out of here. And some of you need to flee. You need to destroy whatever relationship or whatever thing is knocking you down the road to temptation and sin. One of the greatest scenes in that movie, Fireproof, is where Kirk Cameron's beaten the heck out of that stupid computer. Remember that? He's taking the bat and just slugging that thing. Why? Because the computer was a vehicle for temptation and sin. And some of us right now are dabbling and playing with this stuff, and it's got us in its clutches, and if we don't start doing something to resist it, it will overtake us. we got to retreat from those things. Get away from those situations that you know are going to be tempting. If you having a TV is a tempting relationship, get rid of it. If that magazine that you order that's okay is causing you to sin, then get rid of it. Whatever those things are that are causing you to sin, the Bible says it would be better for you to cut off one part of yourself and still enter eternity and be maimed than to lose your whole soul. Retreat from those tempting situations and replace tempting relationships. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion, a companion of fools suffers harm. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians six fourteen, Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have in the darkness? Does that mean we're not a part of the world? No, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. 
And so let me share this very plainly in closing. Some of us are in a place that we need to get away from some relationships. We need to get rid of some things in our lives. We need to cut them off. Because if we're going to be a people who are holy and righteous, we are going to be a people who are getting rid of some things in our life that are keeping us from that. No matter what battle you're facing and temptation you're facing today, step one is confessing it to God. Find a friend who can help you through the process and hold you accountable and understand that your temptation from God's perspective is something that you can find victory over and fight it with all your heart and mind. It is then that we'll find rhythm and we'll be blessed and we'll do what the Lord has called us to. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word again. Thank you for this second reminder of the issue and struggle of temptation and sin. Lord, I know that I am preaching to a sinful people. And Lord, I want my people to know that they are hearing from a sinful pastor. So Lord, we need help, all of us, every one of us, the preacher, the congregation, every one of us needs to hear these words. Because, Lord, we need to be reminded while the battle is difficult, the truth is that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we can have, because of your shed blood on Calvary's cross, we can have the victory. But, Lord, we need to choose that. We need to uh, live that way. And so empower us by your Spirit this week. We're going to leave this place and we'll be inundated with temptation. As our kids go back to school, Lord, there will be temptations all around. Lord, as we head to work tomorrow, the temptation and the battle will be fierce. But stronger and greater are you that is in us. So let us choose obedience. Let us resist the devil so that he'll flee from us. Lord, I pray that as we gather together next week, we'll come back with stories of victory over temptation and sin. We'll confess our failings and receive grace and forgiveness from both our God and our fellow man. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.